Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Uh, we are in 2 Timothy. We're starting the book. We finished 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will get you one. Anybody need a Bible? Keep your hand up. Keep it up so they can see you. Uh, you can actually take this Bible home as a gift, if you'd like, if you don't have one. 2 Timothy chapter 1. How was that worship? Woo! Man, that last song was amazing. We have a good, good father, don't we? So amazing. And I love the promises that he has for us. We are in 2 Timothy. We're going to be looking through one, verses 1 through 7, chapter 1. I've entitled the message, The Promise of Life. We have a letter written to Timothy from the Apostle Paul who was basically Timothy's father in the faith. Paul led Timothy to the Lord. He looks at Timothy as a beloved son. He looks at Timothy as really the only one towards the end of his life that was like-minded enough to think and believe and have faith like himself. And he was looking to hand the torch off to Timothy. But... Timothy was a little timid, he was young, he had doubt, he had fear, he had anxiety. Sounds like the average person, doesn't it? But Paul, in the midst of being imprisoned, in the midst of coming close to facing death, to have his head taken off for his faith, was more concerned with Timothy than himself. And it reminds me of a lot of our Lord Jesus Christ who was more concerned with our well-being than what they were doing to Him as they nailed Him to a cross. As He would look down and say to John, John, behold your mother. And say to Mary, woman, behold your son. <clears throat> as He's bleeding, He's been whipped and his flesh is open. His spikes are through his hands and his feet. Jesus, always other-centered, never self-centered. Paul, very much alike. And we should be too. Sometimes we're so concerned with our feelings and how does that help me and what about my needs. And, and God says, get rid of all that. Die to yourself. I like that he says, die. Nowhere in the Bible do we find rehab the old man. He just says, die, kill the old man, and be raised up in the newness of life. To be other-centered and not self-centered, and then we'll be Christ-like. The people would look in you, look in your eyes, and see Jesus in you. We should be so full of joy and excitement, kindness, patience, love. Why? Because we're going to heaven. Are you kidding me? We're almost out of here. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but we're almost out of here. It's all wrapping up. Everything the Bible says is going to happen in the end times with an ungodly world is happening right before your eyes. Unhook your seatbelts. We're going home. Yeah. And so as we look at this small portion of Scripture today, there's three key things I want to look at, but let's just begin by reading it. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power 
and of love and of a sound mind. Father, we thank you. Praise the Lord for that, Lord God. Lord, bless this time. Open our eyes to your truth, Lord, but stir up our hearts. Get us excited about what's coming. Lord, keep our eyes on you and not on this world. Let us be focusing on the vertical, not the horizontal. And Lord, fill us afresh right now with the Holy Spirit that we could take in everything that you have for us that you want us to know today and be changed on the inside. We ask this in the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Three key things I want to look at today. Number one, the promise of life. Number two, pouring into the youth. And number three, stirring up the gifts. The gifts are for today. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that will say, oh, no, the gifts aren't for today. That ended with the apostles. I don't believe that for one moment. The church could not exist without the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things of the Holy Spirit is to bring the gifts of the Spirit to every individual. Every individual here has a calling. God has called you, and God has given you gifts. And the gifts aren't for you. They're for others. They're for blessing the church. It's for building up the body of Christ. And every one of you has one or more gifts. We need to be pouring into our youth. So important. They're the next generation. What good are we if we're not training them? What good are we if we're not encouraging and pouring into them? What kind of torture are we going to hand to them? We need to be preparing them because if the Lord tarries, they're the next generation. And I thank God for the youth in this church, and I thank God for the young men and the women that God is using. And I'll tell you what, God is using the young men and women almost to the point of provoking the adults, the older ones. And that's a good thing. We need to be stirred up. <coughs> I love it when I see my kids out serving me. I think that's an amazing thing. That's what I want. That was my desire. That was my prayer. God, use them. And we need to keep our eyes on heaven and not so focused on this world because this world would chew you up and spit you out and how many people have been sidetracked we all got sidetracked right shut down pandemic inflation world wars everything that's going on and, and you can get so caught up in the news that now you're, you're so busy following the news that you haven't spent time with Jesus and that's a shame I'll tell you what, it's, it's when times get tough, we need to spend even more time with Jesus so we can overcome the anxiety and the fear because God did not give us the spirit of fear. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, what? Prayer and supplication. Are you praying like never before? I hope so. Are you, are you praying when everything's really good? Or are you someone that only prays when everything's really bad? Now, I know, guaranteed, we are all guilty of upping our prayer life when there's a disaster happening, when there's heavy tribulation in our life. We, we up our game, don't we? We do. But I'll tell you what, if you're here today and everything's going good, up your game with God. He wants to hear from you. He wants to spend time with you. And the more time you spend with Him, the stronger you're going to become. So how do we do that? Well, we keep our eyes on heaven. Not here. This is not heaven. I'm always amazed by Christians that hang on to this world, right? When you, when you say, don't you wish the Lord could come today, and everybody shouts yes, except for those that are going on vacation tomorrow, right? As if vacation is going to be a little glimpse of heaven. Listen, the best day you have here would be the worst day in heaven. Heaven doesn't even compare to, I mean, it's crazy when you stop and you think about it. Streets of gold. Gates of pearls. I mean, the stuff that men kill over and war over, God uses for asphalt in heaven. It's an amazing thing. No more pain, no more suffering. You're going to feel great every day. You're not going to be tired. You can eat anything you want, never gain weight. It's awesome. <laughs> and if I keep looking at that each and every day, I'm looking at the prize, I'm looking at the goal, I'm looking where I'm headed, then this doesn't mess with me. But if I'm just looking at this, I can't see that. This will mess with me. And some of it's messing with some of you. Get your eyes off the storm. And get your eyes on God. Focus that we're going home soon. 
that we're only here for a short time. We're pilgrims passing through. We have a job to do. Our job, check this out, you have one job to do. That's it. It's to reduce the population of hell. In English, share the gospel. That's it. Yeah, but I work at the coffee shop. I'm a teacher. I do this. I do that. I know. You're a pastor disguised as that thing to share the gospel. Kings and priests, he's made us. God has appointed each and every one of you to get out there and share the gospel. You will notice that people will talk about whatever excites them the most, right? I'll, I'll try that one more time. People will talk to you about what excites them the most every time. Right? That's why I don't understand Christians that don't talk about Jesus. You say you're a Christian. I, I, I really don't understand those that say that they're Christians, but they don't ever go to church. And praise the Lord, it's grace. I get it. What's important is your connection with God. I get that. But the importance of the gathering of the brethren, there's something that happens here that's dynamic that doesn't happen at home watching YouTube. You can't lay hands on one another. You can't break bread together. You can't, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but that last song was pretty powerful. You don't get that at home. The importance of gathering together. But you know what? More importantly is God has called each and every one of you, answered the call. He's got great things for you to do. You say, well, I'm not really qualified. Perfect. You won't get in the way. God wants to use you. He, he likes to use the knuckleheads to blow minds. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. So first and foremost, we want to get our eyes on the prize. We want to keep ahead of us the promise of life, and that's eternal life, and that's what God gave us, and through faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins on the cross. He paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. He took it all upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I, that we might become the righteousness of God. And he paid for your sins, and if you just come to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me, I believe you rose on the third day and ascended into heaven. Save me now. It's that simple. Just pray that in your heart right now. You're born again. And from that point on, when that happened, that road to Damascus for the Apostle Paul, from that point on, Paul was going forward for Jesus Christ. And you know, he had that, that, that moment where you remember in the book of Acts when he was preaching in Lystra and they dragged him outside the city and they got angry and they stoned him. They killed him. They left him for dead. And we find out that he got a glimpse of heaven. And he said what he saw and what he heard would have been sin to try to describe. So he just buttoned up his mouth. In other words, it was so amazing. I think it was the driving force in the Apostle Paul's life. You know, I, I shared with you guys a while back, and I've shared it a few times, that sometimes I wish that God would just give everybody a glimpse of hell so it would point them in the right direction. You know what I mean? Just like a few minutes of the pain, the torture, and how scary and dark it is, so maybe Christians would appreciate what they got. Because sometimes I think Christians don't appreciate what they got. Sometimes I think I take it for granted. Maybe, I, or maybe I'm just speaking to me. But then I was thinking about the Apostle Paul this week and what he witnessed in the third heaven where the throne of God is. And he said, I can't even talk about it. I can't, I, pff, zip. And I think that was the driving force. So all week I was praying for you guys and I was praying, God, give them a glimpse of heaven. Oh, Lord, let, let them just see those streets of gold, those pearly gates. Let them just see you in all of your glory and, and the worship of thousands and ten thousands and ten thousands and of ten thousands. And just let them just get such a, a glimpse that where they just like, man, I want to finish. I want to finish well. Man, I want to be about the Father's business. I want to stop making excuses. And I want to answer the call of God in my life. 
because there is no better calling. And the enemy's been whispering in our ears to try to convince us, hey, you don't got time, you got a busy schedule. Yeah, I know you don't have time, but you got to make time. And we'll make time for whatever we want to do, amen? You know that. If you really want to do it, right? You know, when someone asks you to do something you don't want to, and what do you say? You, you say the Christian, no. Well, I'll pray about that. I want to get excited about Jesus. I want to be a Jesus freak. I want to see somebody and say, do you know God loves you? Do you know God died for you? Paul was driven by a glimpse of heaven. Paul was driven by the promise of life. It says there in verse 1 that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. You've all been called by the will of God. You say, how can he use me? By yielding. Just show up. That's it. He's got everything he needs. He's got the power. He's got the gifts. He's got the divine appointment. He's got it all set up for you. You just show up. And say, Lord, I'm here. Send me. I'll go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the gift of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's, there's no other name by which man can be saved. It's by Jesus only. People say, you Christians, you're narrow-minded. Yeah, perfect. There's one way. That's it. And it's Jesus Christ. Because there's only one that died for our sins. There's only one that rose from the dead. There's only one that's sitting on the throne. There's only one that can save and give you the promise of eternal life. He says to Timothy, my beloved son. Paul, writing a letter of encouragement to Timothy, trying to pump him up in the midst of, he's, this is a guy that's sitting in prison in Rome right now at this time of this letter. He had been in prison before. It was really common for him to get thrown in jail. When he would go to a, a village, he would check out the jails first because he knew that was where he was headed. You and I would check out the hotels. He'd check out the jails. He was in jail in Philippi. He was in jail in Jerusalem and then sent to Caesarea where he spent some time awaiting going to Rome. And in the book of Acts, when he was headed to Rome because he announced that he wanted to go before Caesar, and since he was a Roman citizen, they had to grant him that. So he went for his trial in Rome before Caesar. And on the way, they got in a shipwreck, a Eurocliden hit, that's King James for a hurricane. A Eurocliden hit, and he was shipwrecked in 61 A.D. <clears throat> he didn't make it to Rome until... Actually, he made it to Rome in 61 A.D. He was shipwrecked in 60 A.D., got to Rome in 61, and then in the year 62 is where he writes the prison epistles, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Philippians. He spent two years in prison, but he was under house arrest, which means you're chained to a guard, but you've got people can come and go, they can bring you things. It was a whole different thing. Paul the Apostle was chained to a centurion guard every four hours they would exchange. So he was always chained to a guard. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? Guess what you were going to hear? The gospel. I mean, what a captive audience. Can you imagine that? Chained to Paul for four hours? Wow. I'm sure in the beginning they really dreaded it and were seeking for a transfer. But then it says that he started saving these soldiers. They started getting saved. And next thing you know, I bet you they were excited, like, oh, gosh, all right, what, hey, can I take your shift? No way, I'm listening to Paul. <laughs> and at the end of one of his letters, he says, uh, those of Caesar's household greet you. So in the midst of what we would think tragedy, prison, God takes something bad and makes it into good. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purposes. All things. No matter what situation you're in right now, 
God's got you there for a reason. In 63, he was released, he was acquitted, and he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. And after he was released, his ministry was a little sketchy. Uh, historians say that most believe, speculate, that he went to Spain. Some even speculate he went to England, but we don't know for sure. But then in 64, Nero does something crazy. Nero, Caesar Nero, he was a knucklehead. He set Rome on fire. He had these plans to build a new magnificent Rome. So he set Rome on fire and danced and played with a fiddle on his balcony while he watched Rome burn. But the people and government got really upset and he realized he was in deep trouble, so he blamed it on the Christians. He says those Christians, you know, they're always calling themselves the, the light of the world and they're always saying that they have the fire of God and, and it, you know, those Christians, you know, those cannibals, he, they called us cannibals because they're always talking about eating the, the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. And so he made Christians out to be something really bad, and the, and, and the world turned on Christians. Sound like today? And they started persecuting Christians, and they started killing Christians. And in 66 AD, Paul was in the area of Asia. Christians were under heavy persecution. And uh, in 67, Paul, possibly being in Nicopolis, was arrested. And in 68, he was back in a prison in Rome. But it was a Mamertine prison, which is a little different. It was the same prison that Peter would be in, too, not long after. But the Mamertine prison was a place where many died due to the conditions of the prison. There was no light. They were chained to a pole. They were knee-deep in sewage and waste. And many would just die in the environment. And the best-case scenario for a Mamertine prison would be in a what they would call like a dungeon, cold and damp with sewage. There would be a hole in the ceiling with bars across it. The, the local city waste would, would come, in, you know, come into that like drain, and people could look down and talk to you. Uh, most likely chained, but the hole in the ceiling. And we think that's where Paul is at this point because he's asking for a coat. He's asking for the parchments. Uh, he wants to read the Bible. And he's down there in these conditions, and he, and he knows that he's headed for death. And everybody's fled, except Luke. And, and Luke is actually dic writing down this letter as Paul, from, from a prison, check this out, He's got his eyes on heaven, not on his circumstances. And, he, and he's yelling up to Luke, tell, tell Timothy I love him. Tell him don't be afraid. God didn't give us the, the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Timothy, you've got this. Stand strong. Don't let them despise you because of your youth, Lord. You know, son, my son in the faith, you've got this. Stir up the gifts that are in you. I mean, you could just see Paul's heart going out being other-centered and not self-centered. Concerned with Timothy. In 68 A.D., Paul was beheaded. And historians say that it was in 68 A.D. where Nero snapped, lost his mind, became insane, and would ultimately commit suicide. It was believed that it was because he spoke with a man named Paul the Apostle. And Paul, no doubt you know Paul, guaranteed shared the gospel and told him there was no other way. But Nero, Caesar Nero, refused the gospel, killed Paul, beheaded him, and then snapped and became insane. Riding through his garden parties, naked in a chariot, screaming at the top of his lungs, his garden parties lit up with human torches, Christians who were dipped in wax and tar, hundreds burning in his garden. The guy just went insane. And Paul beheaded. You know, actually, you know, I'm not afraid to die. I'm just kind of afraid how to die. And I, I was thinking, you know, being, you know, having your head chopped off would be pretty quick. You know what I mean? It'd be fast. It'd be kind of, I don't know. 
I think about things like that sometimes. I don't want to slow death. And I heard, according to science, that when a head's chopped off, that the brain's still functioning for about 15, 20 seconds after that. And I thought, you know, knowing the Apostle Paul, sharing the gospel with the guards as they're taking him to the stocks, right? And then seeing the guy with the big hatchet and start sharing the gospel to him. You know, Jesus loves you. Do you know Jesus? He died for your sins. Oh, put your trust in Jesus. Ask for forgiveness and you can be saved and have eternal life. I could just see him all the way to the chopping block. And then them taking off his head and his head rolling up and like just going, how about now? I know, pray for me. Caesar Nero goes insane all because he spoke to a man named Paul the Apostle who he beheaded. In 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter written in prison awaiting his trial for Caesar. With Caesar. And here on his on his day of headed for death he talks about the promise of life instead. Because why? Because the Lord abolished death. Oh death, where's your sting? Hell's got nothing on you and me. I mean, for us to die is like simply just you close your and oh, glory. It's a blink in the moment and a twinkling of an eye. You, I just want you to note that Paul's not down. He's not depressed. He sees the bigger picture. He sees heaven. And I think that's a word for you and me. I know, I know that we can let this world just beat us up and get a hold of us and keep us down. And, and many people, even Christians, get depressed. They get oppressed. They, they get anxiety. They, they just, they're, they're focused. And God says, no, keep your eyes on me and you won't have to deal with that. Paul was not depressed. He saw the bigger picture. He was excited. He, he said, listen, I finished my race. I finished my course. I, I did well. I'm going home. He's ready to stand before his king. He's ready to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I'm excited about heaven. I don't know about you. Paul had his eyes on the right thing. But the biggest thing is he's not concerned with himself, but he's more concerned with Timothy here in this letter. He's more concerned with those that he was leaving behind, those that, that would be handed the torch to. And, and we should be concerned with our children and our grandchildren, and our, and our great-grandchildren. And to pour into him, it's so important, because in verse 2, he says, Timothy, a beloved son. He wasn't his real, you know, biological son, but in his eyes, he was his son. He was his spiritual son. And many of us have spiritual sons and daughters that aren't our biological sons and daughters, but isn't there people in the church that you feel closer to than some of your own relatives? That's the Spirit of God. They say blood's thicker than water, but Spirit's thicker than blood. Yeah, I love you too. She knows. And here's the deal. The second point I want to look at is the importance of pouring into our youth. We need to pour into our youth. Our youth matter. They are facing something like you and I have never faced. I, I, some of you that are my age, you grew up, a phone was stuck to the wall. Right? This generation faces technology that we never even dreamed of. They carry a computer around in their pocket. They're learning life from Google instead of mom and dad. They're under heavier pressure than you and I ever were. And we need to pour into them. We need to love them. We need to encourage them. We need to teach. We all need to do this. We need to fast from our phone. Just put it away. You, go, you eat dinner with the family, turn them off. You go somewhere with the family, leave them. I know that's hard, but I'll tell you what, you need to put your phone away early in the morning and get off and be with Jesus. Open your Bible, talk to the Lord, no distractions. And we've got to encourage our youth. We need to include our youth in ministry. We need to encourage the young to co-labor with us. 
We need to give them opportunity to serve. Well, what if they mess up? We did. I mean, this is the toughest thing. If you own a business or you run something, the toughest thing is letting people do what you do because nobody does it like you. But you've got to let them learn. You've got to let them fall on their face. You've got to learn to let them make mistakes and mess up. That's how, that's how we learned. Let's give them that opportunity. Let's not be so critical every time they mess up, but let's be an encouraging and saying, okay, that didn't work, but here's how we can make it work. Change your whole attitude. Pour into the youth. Proverbs 14 says, Where there are no oxen, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. What does that mean? If you're not giving an opportunity, if you don't have an ox, the crib stays clean. The fact that the, the crib, the stall, is full of straw and manure is the fact that you got a healthy young bull that's working in the fields and stuff's getting done. And there's going to be mistakes. And they're going to make messes. So young people will make messes, but their strength will increase. Because you're giving them opportunities. Didn't, didn't Mark, John Mark fail? And thank God for Barnabases. Aren't you glad for the Barnabases in your life when you messed up, when everybody turned their back, when Christians turned their back on you, but there was a Barnabas in your life said, come on, ask for forgiveness, dust yourself off, let's get back in the game. We're going to make messes, but our strength will increase. We need to make a way for the young, amen? Paul here in prison says grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Usually his, his greeting is grace and peace. But now he throws in mercy. And I love that. Because grace is a gift word. Grace is a welcome word. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And salvation, none of us deserved it. It's only by the grace of God. But when you get born again, when you ask Jesus in your life, that's the only way you experience the grace of God. Then you've received the mercy of God, which what? He's forgiven you. And you don't get what you do deserve. And in the midst of all of that, then you receive the peace with God. I think it's Romans 5 that says, Wherefore we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you experience the grace, you understand His mercy, you receive His peace, His shalom. And, but for many Christians, we, have, we all have peace with God, but a lot of you don't have the peace of God. And that's because you're still worrying about everything. Be anxious for nothing, but with all things, prayer and supplication. All your worries lay at the feet of Jesus. Remember when Jerusalem was facing annihilation? And there was 185,000, 86,000, I forget, troops around the enemy. And they gave Hezekiah that, that letter. And instead of whining and moping and complaining, he just took that letter and he laid it before the Lord and he said, uh, it's for you. That's what you need to be doing with all your problems. Wow, how are you surviving? This is going on in your life. That's going on in your life. Oh, I, I, I laid it at the feet of Jesus. Not my problem. He says, I thank God who I serve with a pure conscience. Can you say that? You, you know what he's saying? There'll be a point in Paul's life where he says that he has no blood on his hands. And, and what he was saying was that I made sure I gave the gospel to everyone. Nobody's blood is on my hands. I, I want to be able to say that because I can't really say that right now. I mean, I'm doing better. But is it a priority in your life to share the love of God? If it's not, it should be. 
That's why I wanted to make those Jesus Freak shirts and just give them to you guys because you don't even have to open your mouth. Just walk in somewhere. <laughs> Jesus Freak, it, it starts up conversations. Good ones, bad ones, but it's good. We need to kind of like press into this, guys, a little bit more. I can't, I can't encourage you enough to share the love with that person that you gave up on. Don't give up. Jesus didn't give up on you. Don't give up on them. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that, that I may be filled with joy. And no doubt, we know that Timothy was... brought along on Paul's second missionary journey, but no doubt witnessed Paul in his first missionary journey because Timothy was in the area of Lystra. And no doubt saw Paul get stoned to death, thrown out, stand up again, and go back into the town. And that affected him. So on the second journey, he joined Paul and Silas. And Paul here, a prayer warrior, is encouraging Timothy to be all that he can be, desiring to see him, praying for him night and day, mindful of his tears that no doubt when Paul was arrested the second time and taken to Rome, Timothy must have been with him and probably was sobbing. And Paul now just saying, man, I wish you could just come here. I just want to see your face. And the joy that that would bring to me just to see your face. And the idea, when you stop and you think of the Apostle Paul and his prayer list, do a study. Go through all the letters of the Apostle Paul and write down all the people he's praying for. It'd blow you away. This guy had a prayer list. Praying before you day and night without ceasing. He had that for so many guys. We need that. We have that. Psalm 121, verse 3 says, He will not suffer, speaking of the Lord, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The idea is that Jesus is praying for us all without ceasing. Isn't that awesome? He's interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you without ceasing. Who better do you want to pray for you? Woo! That means right now he is praying while I'm teaching. He is praying while you're sleeping. Some of you. And every time the enemy goes before the father and accuses you, the father goes, no, nah, he's one of ours. She's one of ours. Be gone. Isn't that great? God's forgiven you of your sin. He's cast it as far as the east is from the west and chooses to remember it no more. He says, I greatly desiring to see you and mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call into remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. Sometimes we need a little encouragement, don't we? I'll tell you what, find a good brother or sister that's strong in the Lord and get together and pray with them on a regular basis. Because we need a little encouragement. Timothy needed that. Remember 1 Timothy? Paul had to write him and say, listen, don't dig out. I know you're ready to dig out because things are tough. Ministry's hard. People will turn on you in ministry like that. And there's times where you just feel like giving up and quitting. There's always somebody that's, you know, there's always somebody unhappy with you. There's always people happy with you. There's always something happening. And, and Timothy was feeling that. He was ready to dig out. And Paul says, don't leave. Don't let them despise you of your youth. You hang in there. You, you demand sound doctrine. You demand they get back on track. Don't let them despise you because of your youth. Timothy, hang in there. And all of us need to be told that once in a while. Amen. Timothy was timid, he was sickly, 
He was an emotional crybaby. Not my pick. But then I thought, that's me. And that's you. Because we're all... Well, I won't say it. But we all need a little work, don't we? And we need to understand that the Lord delights in using the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to show up the strong because when He uses people like you and me, He gets the glory. He talks about His grandmother and His mother and, and you know we see their genuine faith. We see the importance of a godly heritage. And many of you had a godly heritage. You had a grandmother that was saved. You had a mother, a father that was saved. But if you're like me, I was the first one saved in my house. And then my mom got saved, and my sister got saved, and then my dad got saved. And now my children are saved, and their kids, and so now they have a godly heritage but you know what maybe it starts with you today maybe maybe you're here saying i didn't have that uh, i wish i did well then you're the start of it for your family and the importance of a godly father and mother pouring into their kids the things of god constantly laying hands on your kids and praying over them constantly talking to them about the word of god have you read that what did it speak to you when they're down praying for power Praying for God's perfect will. There's nothing better than when your children come to you and it didn't go the way they wanted to and they said, you know, I'm just trusting God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then in verse 6, he says this, and I love this. Therefore, I remind you. Oh, do we need reminding? I think so. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God. Stir it up. Why? It gets dormant. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and, and, and I say, hey, you know, what's going, what are you doing for Jesus? Well, you know, I, I, I went on the mission fields about five years ago. That's great. What are you doing today? Well, you know, why don't you get involved in church? Oh, you know, I did that for 10 years. I don't know what you, I don't want to know what you did. I want to know what you're doing. What are you doing today? Right? Don't let your gifts go dormant. Stir them up. You know the word in the Greek? You know what it's saying? It's saying stir them up. Get on fire for God. That's what it's saying. That's exactly what it's saying in the Greek. It's, it's the idea of stirring up. Is the idea of when you have a fire and then the, fi the flame cools down. You have a campfire one night. You, you sleep. You wake up in the morning. There's no more fire, but there's still embers and coals. You've got to stir them up and you've got to put some fuel on that to ignite the flame. That's exactly the word that's being used here. Stir up the fire of God in your life. Yeah. Yeah, come on, get excited about it. Now, some of you are hesitant. You know why you're hesitant? Because you've heard people say that the fire of God is always judgment. That's a lie. The fire of God is judgment at times, but it's not always judgment. God uses His fire in our lives to refine us. It was judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. It'll be judgment in the lake of fire. It was judgment pertaining to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But it's not always judgment. Right here it says that we're to, to stir up the fire of God in our hearts. You remember when Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, had no fruit, finally said, I quit. Tired of being treated the way I am said, I'm not doing this anymore. And then it says that God's word burned in his heart and in his bones. Rekindled, stirred up. He said, I got to talk about the Lord. The fire that came down on Moses' tabernacle in Solomon's temple, it wasn't a judgment. When fire came down from heaven and consumed what was on the altar, the Lord was saying, I'm pleased with what you've done. The pillar of fire that led the children through the Israel during the 40 years of wandering was for comfort and warmth and direction. 
And then the day of Pentecost, what happened? The baptism of the Holy Spirit landed upon each of their heads as cloven tongues of fire. And right here it's saying, listen, it's saying, stir up, stoke the fire of God in your life. We need a little stirring up, don't we? Some of you have so many gifts. Don't tell me what you used to do. What are you doing with those gifts today? And then he finishes, because some of you won't use your gift because of this next verse. Look at verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God didn't give you the spirit of fear. But we get fearful, don't we? I mean, all through the Bible, we see the Jesus showing up or an angel showing up. And what's it, what do they always say? Fear not. Why? Because they're afraid. And you and I get scared. We've got to be reminded. Fear not. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen? Fear not. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power. Hello? The dudamus that he promised, the power and the promise of the Father, the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem to receive the power of God. We are, we are sealed into the body of Christ the moment we accept Jesus into our life. That's called being baptized into the body of Christ. Then we get baptized with water. It doesn't save us, but it's being in obedience unto God. It's an altar call showing the world we're going forward for Jesus. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is receiving the power and the promise of the Father that you need in order to do any ministry because you don't want to do it in your own power. And that's where we get in trouble. See, when we think about the promise of life, and I keep my eyes on here, that I'm going to move in His power and not my own. If I start looking at all the craziness that's happening on the horizontal around me, and then I'm trying to fix it, I can't fix it because i got my eyes off Jesus. And some of you today are having problems with, the, with your marriage, with your children, with your, your career, with finances, with health. And you're spending all your time trying to fix your marriage, fix your children, fix your career, fix your health. And you got your eyes off Jesus, the great physician, the great fixer, the great healer, the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the only one that can take care of your problem. Amen? Let me close with this. There's something wrong with us if we're not excited to share the gospel. Because it means you don't really believe what you say you believe. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you. Trust me, this is all for me. I, I need to stoke my fire for Jesus. I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, here's the thing. God doesn't want anybody in here, look at me, church. He doesn't want anybody in here plateauing. That's how he wants you to go. He doesn't like this. That's, that's been my life. Maybe yours. He just wants you to go, and every once in a while you hit this, but you go back. <laughs> Stir up the gift. Get your eyes on Jesus. Pour into the youth and be available. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, just praise you. Because, Lord, I know that anything good that comes out of any of us is because of you, because you are good. You're a good, good Father. Thank you. And, Lord, I pray for the church right now. I pray for strength. I, I pray, Lord, you make them so excited that they just go out this door and they, they just, you just give them a way in to everybody that they talk to to share the gospel. Lord, we know we're running out of time. And sometimes I wish you would just let us know how soon you're coming so then we could really go full speed. But Lord, I pray right now that you help us 
to have that kind of attitude without knowing when you're coming. That we would be filled with a desire to serve you, to love on people, to get the gospel out, to be an example of you. And so, Lord, I pray for the strength of the church right now. Holy Spirit, fall on them afresh. Fill them up, Lord God, with the power, the promise of the Father, the strength. Stir up the gifts that are in this church, Lord God. Stir up the gifts that are in every individual here and use them to full potential, Lord. I want to hear every one of these people stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I need you to pray right now. I need you to ask him into your life. And if you do know Jesus, would you just start praying that somebody would get saved right now? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, maybe even playing games, you grew up in the church, that's probably one of the most dangerous spots for people who don't really know the Lord, but they know of Him. You have to make a personal commitment. You can't get into heaven because of your parents. You can't get into heaven because you grew up in the church. You get into heaven by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. If that's you today, and you've just been playing church, and it's finally hit you what He did, and that you have to make a personal commitment to Jesus, I want you to pray this in your heart. Father, I realize who you are. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose on the third day. And I'm asking you right now with all my heart, save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, would you just lift your hand up so I can keep you in prayer? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you and you. Anyone else? In the back, I see you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of your salvation. Ooh, the party's going. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you for your promises. Lord, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around these people to guard their hearts because the world's going to want to chew them up and spit them out. But Lord, if they keep their eyes on you, they're going to do well. And Lord, help us, strengthen us as those that are already knowing you, Lord God, that we would serve you all of our days and hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we just love you. We need more of you. Keep our eyes on you. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please stand.